Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro, inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. You're on the record. Host Super Bowl, heading into baseball openings and Masters and a whole host of other stuff. And the bottom line is the economic impact couldn't be bigger. FIFA heating up with its choice of venues. Meg Cain, who runs Philadelphia's Lincoln Financial Field effort, headed by a July 4 game in a couple of years. That's the centerpiece of Philadelphia's anniversary and the U.S.'s anniversary, and FIFA acknowledges. But before we deal with that, let's look at the opening drive, the top four stories of this week, as we do every week. Number one, pay for play is here, and a federal judge says the NCAA cannot enforce any NIL rules, at least the preliminary injunction for now. The original uh, interim NIL uh, policy was created after the case was first filed. The NCAA can't enforce until a case is settled or, or goes to trial. And what that means not only for the Eastern District of Tennessee, Tennessee and Virginia, is that they are limited and really can't move forward. Here's an interesting case. The judge dismissed or the ruling the NCAA's usual arguments to preserve amateurism that has survived the court for, for decades. And while the NCAA permits student-athletes to profit from NIL, fails to show how the timing or when a student-athlete enters such an agreement would destroy the goal of preserving uh, amateurism. And the bottom line, they said, is that the uh, uh, conversations about deals before an athlete commits to a school the rule of a court found to be likely an illegal restriction of trade. What about that? The bottom line is now, if you interrupt the leverage an athlete has to allow commercial pursuit of his rights, you risk the court coming down on you. It is an amazing evolution to be determined and defined a little later down the road. We'll deal with this on March 8 at the College Football Hall of Fame as we deal with the whole day of inside the college football business. More on that later. Number two, the Bears and the White Sox ramp up their push for stadium funds. Chicago Business, the publication that deals with this, the baseball project could ask about $1.1 billion in taxpayer funds, coupled with another $900 million in infrastructure work, authorized, not funded, by Tax Increment Funding District. The overall project, including the contiguous development, could reach $4 billion in total cost. Mayor Brandon Johnson of Chicago has to take it all in, also in the context of what the Bears want. Bears President Kevin Warren talked up the appeal of Chicago's lakefront area, current home of Soldier Field. He said that it's the finest city in the world, the only major metropolitan area has a beautiful lakefront you can actually swim in that's near downtown. The architecture in Chicago, phenomenal. And the history and tradition, just something that feels right about the Bears in Chicago. Yeah, but 
What also feels right is the public money. They're leveraging Arlington Heights against Chicago. And now they're talking to each other, which means that they may be on the same page as far as you don't uh, put up. Well, you may risk losing the team. And certainly uh, the Reinsdorfs are saying the team is worth more out of town than it is in town. Something to note. Number three, NFL salary cap. Talked about that before, but that's major. $255.4 million per team, an additional $74 million per club for player benefits. Every team just under $330 million per team, about $10.5 billion for the entire NFL, meaning $30 million per team they didn't have before. What does that mean? Well, happy Chris Jones, Josh Allen, T. Higgins, Kirk Cousins, Others who look like they're the top free agents that will receive a lot of this, but also really important as well is the idea of being able to re-sign your existing free agents that may otherwise be tagged and then see where we go. Every team has money that they really didn't count on before these numbers came out. And that's number three. Then number four, despite Nike's efforts, the MLB uniform controversy isn't looking good. The scrutinized and criticized uniforms are looked at as developed in partnership with Fanatics. Nike issued a public statement basically saying, we work closely with MLB players, teams, and the league, create the most advanced uniforms in the history of MLB. The sentiment not helped to quell the concerns as MLB Player Association Executive Director Tony Clark reiterated, disappointing we landed in a place where uniforms are the topic of discussion. Not all MLB 30 teams received their full allotment of new pants, and because of that, the Padres wore last year's in Thursday for the first Cactus League opener against the Dodgers, not the first time MLB uniform situation and the players' frustration looked as if it uh, is a repeat of 2006, introducing a synthetic composition basketball as far as the NFL and NFL Players Association. But bottom line is we're not exactly sure how this is all going to shake out, but it involves aesthetics, player choices, and fan choices, which may even be more important as well. Well, that's your top issues of the week. FIFA takes center stage. Let's remember that 6 million fans will attend U.S. matches alone. 48 nations and teams will participate up from 32. First time the U.S. is hosting the Women's World Cup since 03 and the Men's World Cup since 94. The beauty of all the U.S. matches is they'll be played in existing stadiums and U.S. host cities driven by NFL franchises, 104 matches played across North America, and a lot of them have been allocated to cities that are really, really important all over the globe, but Seattle, the Bay Area, L.A., Dallas, Houston, Miami, Atlanta, Kansas City, Philly, New York, New Jersey, and Boston, in addition to Toronto, Vancouver in Canada, Monterey, Mexico City, Guadalajara in Mexico. It is a big footprint and a big task. Meg Kane is the host city executive in Philly. She's been involved in a lot of this all over 
mega Philadelphia in major events. It's important from a security perspective, as well as a transportation perspective, as well as getting the stadium's first rate. And this is, by the way, economic impact, where basically an event is a Super Bowl. This is an event on a regular basis through 2026. Meg Kane talks with, to us right now about the challenges and the benefits. A little bit of background. I mean, it's not just the FIFA and the World Cup, but the uh, strategies you worked on, including uh, the, the coordination of the visit of Pope Francis to, to Philly, the world meeting of families, all in all, the, the, the experience of, of the, 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 the leadership and the, the kind of uh, uh, captains of mega events uh, prepared you for what's coming in a couple of years, right? Absolutely. So I've had the really great fortune of being able to work on several major events for the city of Philadelphia. My career started as an intern uh, in the managing director's office for the city. And so I, as at 19 years old, had a very up close and personal experience with the Republican National Convention in 2000. That was really our um, first entree as a city into the mega events world. And from there and over the past two decades, Philadelphia's really built an incredible reputation for hosting these events that draw you know, global eyes, um, visitors, and it's just such an exciting thing to be part of, especially when it helps to elevate your city and a place that you are from and a place that you love. And so over the course of, of the last two decades, through the leadership you know, of, of many elected officials, Governor Edward Rundell, when, especially when he was mayor, um, as well as the business community led by David L. Cohen, Brian Roberts, Dan Hilferty, um, Michelle Singer, so many um, who have been part of helping to bring these incredible events to Philadelphia. And you know whether that's been the World Meeting of Families in 2015, whether that has been um, the Democratic National Convention in 16, the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau, who uh, helping to bring the NFL draft in 2017, all of this has really culminated in our, you know, opportunity to be a host city for FIFA World Cup in 2026. All that experience, all of that enthusiasm, and really all the lessons learned, that's what's enabling us to do this. And we're so excited to be hosting six matches, including one on July 4th. Yeah, that's a big deal, obviously. We'll go through the matches. Every city has a personal victory, which by the way, shows how politically astute FIFA really is when you think about it, uh, obviously. Uh, when you understand how important uh, sports and other cultural events are to the growth of a city, tourism, economic development, the like, you've had the benefit from the ground up, as you just said, uh, working with uh, many mayors and also through the development, uh, I know, of, of Lincoln Financial and all of the other stadiums. Uh, I had the benefit of working with Mayor Rendell when, when he was, uh, you know, governor, strategy, two in Pittsburgh, two in Philly. You get them. Here's a look at the economic impact. And, and you know, let's not forget what Jeff Lurie has brought to the table with Lincoln Financial and the ability to get all of that done. So it takes a lot of different leaders in a lot of different roles, right? Absolutely. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't take a minute to just talk about the leadership of the Philadelphia Eagles in our ability to bring home this bid. Um, uh, you know, I mentioned the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau, which has its PHL sports division um, led by Larry Needle and Bria Webster-Stenko, the bureau led by Greg Karen um, and, pre and prior to him, Julie Coker. They are at the nexus of helping us as a city always bring about these large sporting events. So whether it is World Cup or WrestleMania, 
whether it's the NCAA, um, you know, and, and many of the, um, you know, Army Navy game or, or any of these types of, of events, they are at the core of our being able to do that with the city of Philadelphia and, and the ability to do that. But our stadium complex and specifically in this in, in this event, Lincoln Financial Field has just really helped to position uh, Philadelphia so well for this hosting. Um, you are absolutely correct. The leadership of Jeffrey Lurie, uh, Don Smolensky, the Philadelphia Eagles, Frank Gamani as their chief operating officer. There's so many incredible people who are part of that Eagles team. And the stadium itself is truly, as we've called it, the centerpiece of, of our bid and now the centerpiece of our, of our organization and what we're planning. Because the spectator experience is so important and stadiums are key to that. Um, and the ability for people to move uh, from downtown Philadelphia to our sports complex is just one of those um, things that is so unique to us. When you look at some of the other venues that will be hosting matches, they are not necessarily close to their city center or don't necessarily have the public transit. We do. And that's so intentional and so thoughtful. And, and really the Eagles have just been um, a, a critical partner in all of this. Um, but you also touch on that, you know, kind of the economics of all of this, right? And you've worked with Governor Rendell, and there's so many who saw the benefits of, of these types of mega events. And so for us, you know, we've done a preliminary economic impact study in February of 2020. The tournament was very different when we did that. It was only yeah. meant to be 80 matches. Um, it was this now it's 104. We're going to have 48 teams as opposed to 32. There's 11 American host cities. There's a lot that has changed in that dynamic. Um, so, but even still, when we look at that original economic impact from 2020, in the before times, the pre-COVID times, we were looking at an event that was going to generate, you know, $500 million plus. I think now, as we look at our match schedule and we get and we prepare to rerun that economic impact, we do so with much more information. And specifically, that July 4th match being, you know, that 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 cherry on top of our schedule and what that is going to mean as we celebrate the 250th anniversary of the country. Um, and as we also prepare in Philadelphia to host the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in July. Yeah, you know, I, I can only imagine what your planning sessions are going to be like for that two week period where you will be the center of American attention and, you know, worldwide as part of that deal. And you get a snippet of it, you know, just return. We're going to run this through the spring, but the, uh, we just uh, finished the, the Super Bowl together and everybody's excited, probably about a billion to economic impact all told there. They have a, a dome, which gives them the ability to do a lot. And is Vegas, a Lincoln financial not covered has no impact on world cup bidding and you got it. Congratulations. But now you realize that you got to be able to pull it off and it is a huge event. By the way, what about that uh, 40 day, you know, fan fest and the half million visitors coming to Philly as well. And there are 11 cities and they all get kind of the same benefit from it. But now it's up to you to implement. Absolutely. And implementation is such is the key element. And one of the things that we've done really well here in Philadelphia, um, especially since we've had um, the opportunity to work with so many of um, our partners since we were 
awarded host city um, status back in June of 2022 is we always understood that that six week period, that June 1 to you know July 19th, the end of the tournament, was going to be a really special time in Philadelphia. We had the annual Welcome America Festival. Um, that is a 16-day festival in the lead up to uh, July 4th. It's obviously going to be expanded in 26. We knew we had the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. And then we knew that World Cup was going to overlay both of those. So we have always looked at ourselves and, and from a Philadelphia Soccer 2026 perspective as a, as a key partner to all of those events, right? Implementation doesn't happen in a silo. And can't um, the way the city is laid out and the and the needs of the city and the, the fact that we have to balance what that fan experience the tourism experience is to in, but also the resident experience and make sure that those who live here in Philadelphia not only feel the economic impact of these major events but also the day to day life continues businesses operate the city remains open um, it is celebratory it is different of course but at the same time. You, you can't look at any major American city, whether it's Philadelphia, Kansas City, Seattle, Los Angeles, and say, well, it's a 40-day tournament and we're going to shut down. Everything has to be humming. And so we've been sitting at the table with the city of Philadelphia, with Welcome America, with MLB and, and, the, C and the Convention of Visitors Bureau through that to make sure that as we start planning, um, we are taking into consideration all of their needs. And so now that we have the match schedule, that really allows us to accelerate the formal planning, right? It's a lot harder to have those conversations when you are looking at something that is, you know, oh, it might be a 40-day period or it's a 60-day window. Now we understand the tournament begins on this date. In Philadelphia, it begins on June 14th. Our final match is July 4th. And now we have to put that fan fest over top of it for the entirety of the, of the tournament, which is phenomenal. But those match days help us to understand when we want to dial up, when we want to dial down, where we have to fit within the July 4th celebrations, MLB, and then always being ready to make sure that we're prepared to celebrate the great sport of soccer. And for us, we have the added advantage of being, you know, 90 minutes to MetLife, which is now going to be the host of the final. So for that final weekend, you know, Philadelphia really has an opportunity to serve as an auxiliary site for fans that are interested in going to MetLife or being part of that or ticketed, but may not want to stay in New York or may not want to stay close to the stadium or are looking for a looking for another city. Amtrak is going to be so critical to this. And so we want to make sure that we're maximizing this opportunity for the full for the full run of the tournament, not just the six matches we have and, and really the, the 21 days that it will be active in Philadelphia. It is interesting because it becomes a larger kumbaya session is easier now that everybody knows what they're getting. You, know, you talk about the odds on this. Dallas was sure they were going to get the open or close. Uh, L.A. was sure they're going to get both. Uh, obviously, it doesn't always happen. There's always handicapping. You know, you guys with six plus July four. Everybody can make a case of the 11. They're very happy. Then you got the brothers to the north between Toronto and Vancouver and then south. It is an incredible undertaking. And one of the biggest differences, I think, having been to Cutter two and a half years ago, two years ago, is that, you know, they built six of the eight. I guess two were standing before, but they also have all the money in the world. The difference here is that you have the ability to use not only existing stadiums, but existing promotional machinery that the NFL owners bring to the table as well. And that's got to be a big plus. Absolutely. I mean, the infrastructure of the NFL stadiums is so critical to the ability to deliver this tournament 
across the United States. When you think about that infrastructure, and certainly, you know, no disrespect to stadiums in Canada or Mexico, they are outstanding. But when you look at that, at that NFL infrastructure, that is obviously an enormous benefit to FIFA and to the tournament itself, not just because these are state-of-the-art elite facilities that are built for the best professional athletes in the world, just as any FIFA stadium is meant to be built for elite athletes in, and who are the best in the world. But, you know, you start looking at the operational excellence of these stadiums, what they're able to do, whether it's on, you know, on any given Sunday, but also in the playoffs, also as they host other ma massive events. I mean, Lincoln Financial Field, you know, this summer hosted three Taylor Swift concerts. I mean, it is, it is that infrastructure that's so key. And I think that when you talk to anyone who is in um, my role across any of the host cities, one of the areas of strength in all of this is the fact that the NFL stadiums are so well equipped to handle these types of large scale events, but specifically they are so well equipped to handle it from a safety and security standpoint. And that mix of having an amazing spectator experience, right? What it's like to be in the stadium and to enjoy it and to, and to really kind of soak it all in, which is what the World Cup experience is, but to do so with that level of safety and security the NFL venues are, are perfect for it. Yeah. And let's, let's segue to that just for a second, because uh, this is not just a party planning session. This is uh, facilities that are uh, designated top security uh, targets uh, zones by all of the officials in all of the organizations as we get closer. And so when you think about the fairly large bill, which is justified because you're putting on the, the, the mother of all mega events, not only on the security side, the cybersecurity and everything else, but the transportation issues as well. And there are long-term improvement opportunities to leave these stadiums in a better position than they were before after the World Cup is over. So the coordination of all of this is paramount, is it not? It is absolutely paramount. And it's really the intersection of all of those pieces together, right? So the safety and security aspects are going to shift and change over the next two and a half years. Um, you know, we certainly will rely on the Department of Homeland Security to provide us with their their SEER ratings with, you know, how, as they look at the tournament and identify what are the best areas for, you know, certain designations, um, what what matches would, would live up to national security special event status. All of that really lies with the federal government. And we defer to them because that's their level, that's their expertise. Now, what we don't know is what teams will be coming to each of our cities. We won't know the geopolitical forces that may change SEER ratings, um, that may change designations at any given time during the tournament, because as FIFA always reminds us, there's only two things that they don't control, the weather and who wins. So we can't necessarily make decisions about you know, what, what designations or, or SEER levels are going to be assigned to certain matches because we don't know who's won yet. And we don't know the state of play of international politics at that time. Um, it will be different surely than it is right now. So what, all of that is going to feed into this and certainly the dignitary protection aspect of this will also be important because we know the World Cup is going to draw that caliber of fan, um, not not just your traditional fan, but it is truly the world sport, and so that brings kings and sheikhs and prince and princesses and and prime ministers who are following their team, and because this is the marriage of of national pride and sport, and so 
that is a really unique thing that we don't necessarily sometimes think about when you think of the World Cup, but this is really about that marriage of, of that national pride and passion for sport. And that is, is going to bring such a different energy and flavor to our hosting duties in 2026. And here's one of the things that I found from the uh, meager research that I've done in the last uh, few weeks interviewing some of the key players in this. And and it includes uh, uh, the, the federal you know, transportation folks and security folks, which are critical. And, you know, Alex Lazary, who is now a Department of Commerce guy, the nexus between sports and entertainment. And they all see the big vision and they all see that this is one of those. Uh, uh, not hard sells, but massive sells because the bill is big. The economic impact is bigger than ever before. And this is not a layup. This is one of those things that's going to take a lot of work in the next two and a half years. It absolutely takes a lot of work. But what I piggybacking on the comment that I just made, the one thing that I think is so important is to really think about the World Cup and our hosting, not as 11 American cities that are hosting this event. This is a national event. And this is an opportunity for the United States to, if in some respects, introduce itself, reintroduce itself to the world through a sport that the world loves. Um, the cities that have been selected each tell unique and rich stories with incredible heritage, incredible opportunities for entertainment, um, for experiences. As we've talked about, you know, for us, July 4th is what a what a culmination of history, heritage, and um, our legendary passion for sports in Philadelphia. The things that we are known known most for. That is what the July Fourth match will celebrate and elevate. Um, I think every city has that story to tell. But this is an American story, as it is a Canadian story and a Mexican story. It is about each of our nations having a, a moment to take pride in the fact that we are welcoming the world. We have been selected to welcome the world. For this, what a what a, what an incredible opportunity! And there's no greater investment, and that's what it has to be. It's an investment. It's not a cost. It's an investment in what the United States offers to the world. Well put. And based on the politicians who got the facilities done years ago, in anticipation of some of this, and no guarantees that this would even be on the roster on the Philadelphia side, uh, you have enough people understanding what this all means. Segway, do you get a sense that the public out there understands the difference in scale? The numbers come back from Super Bowl viewing, 140, 150 million people. Big deal. That's fine. But we're talking about 3 billion people plus watching Final, even more. I, I can't imagine who's not watching it. And so part of the job has to be respectfully to make people understand the difference, uh, even at the highest level of American sport in this. Absolutely. As you know, when we first started to engage in the bid back in 2019, one of the most you know kind of eye-opening statistics that we that we received was the fact that when we looked at the 2018 Russian um, World Cup, uh, they were looking at an average viewership of 191 million viewers for a match, like group play match, right? And and then you're talking about the fact that we're speaking of the Super Bowl as the most watched ever and the numbers being so great, you know, 120 million. That's what, that is the most important match, if you will, of the NFL season. It is practically a national holiday in the United States, right? And so when you think about that and, and what those numbers are, those are incredible. But then you think about a group play match drawing 191 million back in 2018, and we see the numbers in Qatar just continue to grow. This is going to be an exponential growth 
for FIFA. Um, this is going to feel, these first two weeks of the tournament are going to feel like the NCAA March Madness tournament, but at the scale of a Super Bowl, right? Think about those two events coming together, the pace. Um, there are going to be soccer matches that are happening every day, multiple hours of the day. I mean, you're not going to be able to turn on the TV without soccer being in, you know, in the zeitgeist and everyone talking about it, watching it. Um, bars activated, um, restaurants activated, watch parties and neighborhoods. You know, at the at our core, and we talk about this in Philadelphia, we are a city of immigrants and that is so much a part of our heritage. And as we look at how immigration has changed in our own city and the growth of Philadelphia and population being rooted in immigration, while well, we have in traditionally, as you look at our river wards and some of our first neighborhoods in and around outside of the center of the city, you know, were uh, Italian, Irish, Polish, um, English immigrants. Now we see that growth in South America, Latin America, Africa, the Caribbean, all of these countries still have incredible passion for, um, they still have incredible passion for their, for, for soccer. That is going to bear out in Philadelphia. We are going to see neighborhoods activated and communities activated in a way that while the NFL is amazing, it, it may not have that community engagement watching the Super Bowl the way the World Cup is going to draw people in and out. Let's remember the economic impact is in the billions of dollars, says Meg Cain, but everybody else involved will have ongoing series involving FIFA, World Cup, cities, NFL, deciding what to do and how to do it. Meg Cain, the host city executive for Philly Soccer 2026, she's been the liaison between the city and key partners and venues and FIFA focusing on the development of cities technical initiatives. She's been involved in a number of major issues, such as the visit of Pope Francis to Philadelphia, co-lead of strategic communications for that 2015 meeting, high pressure, high impact tourism, philanthropy, arts, and culture processes. She's a president and CEO of Signature 57, a strategic communications firm, special focus on hospitality, tourism, large event strategy, certainly up to the task. Meg Cain, great perspective. Thanks for the issue. Thanks for the conversation. As we normally do, here's our grab bag segment. Top gambling, tech, and philanthropic issues of the week in the sports business. Let's start with gambling. A report from the American Gambling Association shows that U.S. sports betting posted a record $10.92 billion in revenue for 2023. The huge year represented a 44.5% year-over-year increase from 2022, which previously held the record. The handle of about $120 billion, 27% year-over-year increase, combined with an increased year-over-year sportsbook win percentage of about 10% up from 8% the previous year. That also contributed. Another key factor was the addition of five new legal betting states, Kentucky, Maine, Massachusetts, Nebraska, and Ohio, all going on online in 2023. New York maintained its dominance at the top of the leaderboard by accumulating about $1.697 billion, while New Jersey, $1.007 billion, and Illinois, $1.002 billion, billion, each eclipsed the billion annual revenue for the first time. 
The sports betting industry also posted a record quarter by bringing in $3.41 billion in quarter four, a 30% increase from the fourth quarter of 2022 and a 19% increase from the record set in the first quarter of 2023. The answer is it's big and it's getting bigger. Another gambling issue involves the Pro League Network partners with Panda Interactive to offer fans in-stream wagering. Tech Pro League Network owns, operates, and live streams niche sports leagues, begins its second year of programming on Monday with the World Putting League's 2024 schedule. Viewers will have access to unique wagering opportunities thanks to a partnership and streaming solutions provider Panda, which will provide some key technical opportunities. The league averaged 55 minutes of watch time on its streams, which typically run an hour and a half to three hours, and a 38% click-through rate in on-stream links, which includes live odds and links to purchase merchandise. That dynamic and a connection through mutual investor Chris Grove, the league has raised about $2.5 million of funding to date. Lead PNN and Panda partner ahead of inaugural 2023 season and beyond. Basketball Super League, Canadian National Basketball League, the Ukrainian Premier League, and others give some real context to this. Wagering on the Putting League, the Slap Fight Championship, the Car Jitsu Championship, STR 33 Street approved in 14 states' jurisdictions, including New Jersey, Philly, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Arizona, obviously big revenue states as well. So it's a big deal that they're going in the right direction, and obviously big deals for all of those niche sports. All right, let's go to tech. First, Apple launches its free sports app. They're getting into the free sport application game by introducing Apple Sports, a free app for the iPhone that gives sports fans access to real-time scores, stats, and more. The announcement says Apple Sports is available for free in the App Store. Makes it easy for users to stay up to date with their favorite teams and leagues. The new app will allow users to customize their basketball and NHL, NBA, NCAA, plans to provide scores, stats, and more. Apple's foray into free sports app space will run in direct competition with some of the industry's most popular options provided by ESPN and the leagues themselves. Apple recently inked a deal with MLS to stream games on Apple TV. It's been broadcasting a handful of MLB games for the last several seasons. Let's see how this all shakes out. Number two, Under Armour drive to Pro Series passed the test at Demo Day. They validated the performance of its recently released Drive Pro Series footwear with live data testing at last month's PGA show Demo Day, allowing media and PGA professionals to experience the performance of the products backed by data metrics from the full swing kit and launch monitor. UA has seen over 50 testers go through its data validation testing protocol throughout the day. On the key testing of those products, 
consistent performance gains at ball speed, club head speed, carry distances when going to the new Drive Pro and Drive Pro SL models of footwear when compared to the current show. shoe. How about that? Uh, wear a shoe, drive it longer. The testers hitting a variety of clubs to gather different data sets through bag on average. Media pros and professionals saw increases in total carry of 11 yards, two and a half miles an hour, an increase in club head speed, and a jump to four miles an hour in, in ball speed. Bottom line is this seems to be something that will generate some interest. Obviously, the clubs have something to do with it, the muscles, the workout, the tempo. And now we see the footwear. I guess it gives you a really interesting perspective. The data has led the company to basically say, we believe footwear is a completely untapped area for serious golfers looking to seek out every advantage on a course and would encourage everyone to look at the data increases they can achieve by trying the new Drive Pro Series. Look, anybody will do anything to try to drive the ball further. If it strains credulity, they're going to buy it even more and try to figure it out. That's number two. And then finally, number three, on the tech side, WhatsApp gets its logo on Mercedes Formula One steering wheels. This is major because of the Pandora's box it opens on the marketing side. The messaging platform Meta, WhatsApp, will have its logo on the button of steering wheels on the cars of the F1 teams in 2024, the latest unique sponsor integration in the global racing series. WhatsApp started dabbling in the sports world over the last few years, including working with the Greek Freak on content and rolling out channels feature last year that properties like UFC and NASCAR have engaged with. Around the time of the inaugural F1 Heineken Silver Las Vegas Grand Prix in November, WhatsApp also announced that a partially owned first sports sponsorship with the Mercedes-AMG Petronas Formula One team, partially owned by Mercedes, the German giant. But the team also is an early adopter of the channels feature, which it uses to share content with fans on the platform. Now, as Formula One season gets underway with testing in Bahrain, the sides have shown off new steering wheel activation, which will get exposure all season long when Formula One's broadcast switch to show in-car cameras of Mercedes drivers Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. The button on the steering wheel with the WhatsApp logo allows the driver to communicate with the team radio, tying into the company's status as global messaging platform. Other unique sponsor integrations in Formula One over the years include how Mercedes drivers have worn gloves that have images of IWC watches emblazoned over the wrist area as if they were wearing a watch during the race. How clever. We haven't seen the last of this, quite clearly. That's your tech stuff. And how about finishing this segment with good sports philanthropic issues? There are many. Here's one. Girls flag football is announced as an IHSA-sanctioned sport at Hallis Hall, the Illinois High School Athletic Association, and the Bears are becoming partners. 
Girls flag football now one of 40 total sports and activities that have state series sponsorships and will be given the same officiating and IHSA support that boys tackle football has long had. The Bears 2023 challenge recipient, Juliana Zavala, the person behind all this, let her emotions show as she reminded the players of their successes and accomplishments as trailblazers in this sport through Illinois and all over the country. The decision to approve the state series for girls flag football made by the association's board of directors on February 5 and the inaugural IHSA flag football state championship held in the fall of 2024. And all over, 100 schools have already committed to participate. During the remarks at the press conference, IHSA Executive Director Greg Anderson added that 40 schools have committed to starting programs in 2025. No idea where it continues to grow, especially with the bears behind it as they are now. Number two, Uganda, very significant golf project aiming to drive the golf industry's growth in East Africa. UK, Australia, US-wide popularity, but not previously Uganda. The hindrance to its expansion lies in the scarcity of equipment, scarcity of courses, and on and on. The Uganda-UK golf project recently launched by West Byfleet Golf Club in Surrey. The initiative aims to provide Ugandan children essential golf gear, fostering their national, natural talent, and a, quote, transformable opportunity. 100 Surrey golf clubs have embraced this initiative, reaching out to their counterparts. 2,000 balls, 50 golf bags sent and targeted all over Uganda. A big deal. It means that there is a partnership opportunity that's reaching these kids like never before. Number three, sports betting raised $100 bucks for education in the first four years in New Hampshire. The contributions to the Education Trust Fund, New Hampshire Lottery, and the sports betting industry is among the lottery's newest game, opening its first retail uh, sports book at The Brook in Seabrook, followed by Manchester, then Dover, then Nashua. The players ragered more than $2.71 billion. Good for them. Finally, Cleveland Guardians. They partner with Chess.com, raising ten grand or more for the charity Kids raising the money, Major League Baseball and chess, an unlikely alliance, but but not really, when you consider that the $10,000 first prize rewarded with $3,000 for charity, third place got to donate $1,000. It's not the number, but the start of it. And by the way, all of this becomes important and promoted on the Cleveland Guardians special situation as far as their promotion and marketing social media concern as they continue to move forward. And the bottom line is, as Major League Baseball copies, in a good way, all of the positives and all of the successes promotionally look very soon 
for chess partnership and esports partnerships all over Major League Baseball, and for that matter, all over all sports. As your grab bag, top gambling, top tech, top social media of the week. Three to watch for this next week and beyond. Number one, Sabrina Inescu, how about her explosion in social media after the Steph Curry challenge? 845,000 or so followers before it, 1,994,000 after it. And the suggested estimates are that she could earn about $11,300 for a single sponsored post. And that's not the half of it. They both loved it. The NBA loved that this was probably the highlight of the All-Star weekend, maybe even of the month. And look who's waiting in the wings, Caitlin Clark. They may expand it to two and two and maybe even more. But the bottom line that's really important is we've started the process. Congratulations to her and congratulations to an institution that may be there for years to come. Part of the All-Star game is number one. Number two EA's athletes getting involved now, 134 Division I schools, 85 players each team, paying $600 if they do. They're part of the College Football 25 with EA, with Collegiate Licensing Company kicking in the logos and stadiums and marks and others. This is a major issue. No problem of opting out till such times your career is over. We went from our athletes getting paid to here is the foundation for EA Sports College game. It's been missed long overdue. Number three, NHL expansion, maybe. How much? Gary Bettman says it is a notional amount, whether he conceptually agrees, to the two to two and a half billion dollars for an expansion price. And remember, the Vegas Golden Knights, 500 million in 2017. The Kraken, 650 million in 2021. Salt Lake, Charlotte, Kansas City, Houston, Atlanta drives up the price. We haven't seen the last of this and certainly just the beginning. That's your three to watch. We'd like to thank Meg Kane for helping us uh, in, get involved in this uh, show and giving us her perspective. I'd like to thank Callie Kazart for uh, putting this together. We'd like to thank, to thank you for listening and watching. More on the records coming up next week. Sports professor Rick Harrow. Speak with you then.